Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a belated episode of the Teamwork of Betterway podcast. I'm Christian Napier and joined by the man in black, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how you doing? Man, I have missed you. I'm doing much better now that uh, we get to get together again today. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I, I'm guessing you've been all over the country, if not the world, uh, helping people. So uh, what have you been up to lately? Oh, my goodness. I have been all over the world. So I've been to Indonesia. I've been to all over the United States. I mean, last week I was in uh, Kentucky and Michigan and New York, seven-day road trip. I head out uh, this week again on Monday for another seven-day road trip. And then a two-week trip to Europe, which you're going to join me in Europe. I'm so and in Lebanon. I'm so excited about that. We get to go on the road together. Oh, I'm super stoked! I'm super stoked. I got all my arrangements made, and I I, I can't wait uh, to to meet your wonderful colleagues there in Cyprus and uh, Lebanon. It's going to be it's going to be amazing. Yes, and uh, I I agree, and it's uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to eat some great Cypriot food and Lebanese food, and hopefully make a, a difference in in some people's lives in in, the, in that part of the world. I'm I'm just grateful that they're willing to host us. They are they are amazing. You're going to love them, and they're going to love you. Well, like I say, I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, but you know, before we, uh, go down there to those warmer climbs, I mean, it's been a bit chilly up here. Uh, did you get any snow in your neck of the woods there, Spencer? Yes, we did. And we got snow, uh, gosh, it was sun Monday morning snow and then still went up running, uh, on Tuesday there was, there was snow and it's just, we need it. We, we need this, this moisture for sure, but, uh, still going up into the mountains and running when, you know, snow, rain, sun, doesn't matter. I'm enjoying the view from my home office of the snow, uh, but it's just a dusting here. We didn't get much snow. So, uh, but the change in temperatures, man, it's been really, really chilly. I have to say waking up in the morning and getting out of bed, just a tad more difficult when it's so chilly in the house. But uh, uh, I, I also too am very, very grateful for the moisture that we've received. Well, we've got so much to talk about today because we haven't talked for a long uh, period of time. Right. But uh, Spencer, before we started uh, broadcasting here, you were telling me about a story of a, of a conference that, that, that went a little bit off the rails. I don't know if I'm, if I'm characterizing that correctly, but, but why don't you tell me about uh, this experience that you had? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm just uh, pulling up the, the, the slide. I shared, I was at a conference in Syracuse. And it's interesting because this is a, you know, I, I talk about some of my successes speaking. This, to me, I, I don't know if I could characterize it as a success. It was a little frustrating because this was an event that was booked a year and a half ago to, to happen a year and a half ago. They canceled it because they didn't have any registrations. And so a year and a half later, we were on the books and we had the event. And you know, I trust the event organizers to to get the people there, and and uh, so that it's they get their money's worth, and a lot of people can can experience it. Five people showed up. I think they had six registrations, and 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 um, you know, different levels of of experience in organizing events happen all over the world, and 
This is one that just didn't work out. Well, so five people showed up. I kind of changed how I, I, this was an all day event. And so it, it took a lot of energy. And the people that were in the audience were mostly academics, engineers, uh, people very different. So there wasn't a variety of, of, of folks in the audience. And we were talking about this idea of how productivity is created. You know, you create sustainability and productivity through the culture. And that is created really starting at the leadership level. And I shared a quote as I was tying this idea of productivity and positivity, you know, that, that positive culture, which is all about relationships that create that sustainable productivity. I shared um, a quote, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the screen here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump you off for just a second so people can, can see this. And here is this quote regarding to, uh, relating to productivity and positivity. And it says, the, uh, why don't you read it, Christian, because everyone, you know, hearing my voice for a second, if you don't mind. I'd be happy to. So the, the slide title is Productivity and Positivity. And the quote is, the fundamental task of leaders is to prime good feeling in those they lead. That occurs when a leader creates resonance, a reservoir of positivity that frees the best in people. At its root, then, the primal job of leadership is emotional. And this, you know, this was quoted from a book called Primal Leadership by Daniel Goleman, who's considered, you know, the father of emotional intelligence, Richard Boyatzis and Annie McKee, who are just two brilliant, uh, you know, social scientists, if, if you will. And so I, I shared this quote, and I'm going to ask you what I asked them. So do you agree with that? I, I do. And in fact, I don't find anything disagreeable uh, with it. Now, I mean, I guess if you would characterize leadership as being a tyrant, then maybe you would disagree. But I think in the, you know, in the benevolent uh, form, I, I totally agree with that quote. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad because I, I believe that too. I mean, part of a leader's job is to free up the best in their team so that they want to give their all, that they want to play with heart, with commitment, with enthusiasm, with excitement. And so it says that the fundamental task of leadership is then, you know, emotional. It's, 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 to, it's to create those conditions on the team where you get the greatest productivity. And I asked them of that, and, and the organizer, who happens to be an engineer for DuPont and also uh, teaches at a local community college, said, no, I disagree. And then another academic says, yeah, and she's from Turkey. She says, oh, I, I disagree too. I mean, we don't want emotional people. We don't want people, you know, crying or, or, or getting emotional. And, and I'm like, well, hold on. This is the exact opposite of behaving emotional. It is being aware of our emotions so that we manage them appropriately to create that positive environment where people want to work and engage. It's not about getting emotional. It's about creating that connection emotionally with people. And they really struggled with that concept. And, and so from, from that point on, they're like, no, that's wrong. I don't, you know, I don't agree. And so it was uh, somewhat of a, of a fight <laughs> in terms of sharing this. And, and, and I'll just share one other, just an example of how the day went. It was exhausting. We were, we were having lunch and I was talking about, I found a great piece of a pizza place 
in Syracuse downtown. And I, they, they did a great, you know, it was a Neapolitan style uh, brick oven, and they were just uh, busy as can be. So great atmosphere, great food. I ordered this pizza that was a potato pizza with Gouda cheese, caramelized onions, and rosemary. It's fantastic. And so I was just sharing this as we were, you know, just socializing. And this same guy says to me, I don't know that I would uh, trust somebody from Salt Lake City's opinion on, on pizza. And I'd kind of had a fill of, of this guy. And so I wasn't really going to, you know, I, I, I really wasn't in the mood to, to take a, a jab like that. And I said, well, then you'd be wrong. Because I've lived in Italy, and <laughs> I know there's different kinds of pizza. There's New York pizza, there's Chicago pizza, there's Neapolitan pizza, there's Roman pizza. They're all different. And this was good pizza. And uh, from my perspective, you know, I... I, I <laughs> so, what would you say if somebody said that to you? Yeah, I would... You know, it's interesting because people make judgments based on assumptions and limited information. This yeah. gentleman didn't have any idea that uh, you actually had lived in it Italy for a couple of years, you know? So it's, you're no stranger to, uh, particularly Neapolitan pizza, pizza from Naples, where uh, you spent uh, some of your time. I, so, you know, you know, maybe what I would uh, do in that, in that case is just uh, fill in the gaps in his information, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Yes, well, well I, I wasn't interested. I understand in, why somebody I wasn't might say that, but I happen to live in in in, uh, in Naples for two years, and so yeah, you know, I think I got a pretty good handle on Neapolitan pizza. Right. Well, I wasn't really in the mood to uh, you know make him feel good about his negative comment, and so I just said, "Well, then you'd be wrong." I mean, it wasn't combative. I'd said, "And here's why," <laughs> but um, and it, 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 it takes energy to to create that positivity. And that, that leads us really to our topic today, which is, you know, does your team have heart? And Christian, why don't you introduce wh wh what this is all about? Well, why don't I just uh, let us, let everybody know. So we're, we're, we're uh, broadcasting from Salt Lake City or there, the, the suburbs of Salt Lake, different places. Yeah, north and south suburbs. <laughs> right, north and south suburbs of Salt Lake. Uh, we have a professional basketball team here, the Utah Jazz. And pretty much everybody in this state is happily flabbergasted by how well the team is playing. Why? Because during the summer, the team traded away all of its best players. And uh, so the assumption going in was that the team was in rebuilding mode, was going to tank. And so the team... Uh, just you know, wouldn't wouldn't perform well on the court because they didn't have the talent to do so. And what's happened is they've completely surprised everyone by jumping out to a four and one start, including victories over three contending Western Conference teams. And the fan base, including myself, we've gotten a total kick out of watching these people play. Why? Because they play hard. They play with heart and. In interviews with the players, they're all talking about uh, how they're just playing for each other and it's kind of the us against the world mentality and nobody expected anything of them and, and they're really taking 
the 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 NBA by surprise. Whether it can be sustained, I don't know, but but I have to say it's been sure fun watching him play uh, with with such verve and tenacity and uh, an attitude of not backing down to anybody, not just assuming, well, we don't have as much talent as the other team, so we're going to lose. I mean, these guys are playing without any fear, and they're playing with a huge amount of heart. Right. And, and they have nothing to lose because of low expectations from everyone else, and that's that's why they have that us-against-the-world mentality. But I, I, And I think really the... The lesson here is their performance has a lot to do with the culture that has been created on the team by the coach, Will Hardy, who's one of the youngest coaches in the NBA right now. And, you know, as you said, there are no stars on this team. They traded all the stars away. And what's interesting, last year, a lot of the the announcers were saying, you know, this team, they just they weren't playing hard. They weren't giving everything. There was an expectation that they were going to win just because they had, you know, all these all these superstars. And, you know, I I, I want to I, I want to tie this in after we talk about this for a minute. There may be organizations out there, because some of you may be thinking, well, what does basketball have to do with you know, team performance in business. And there's an example here that I think is very relevant, which we will we will tie up. But I have seen in other organizations, and even in myself, Christian, where I was afraid and others have been afraid to trade, if you will, toxic players that were high performers because we were afraid of maybe losing their production and and therefore you know losing productivity and sometimes keeping those toxic performers on the team had more damage does more damage than we realize and and letting go of some of them even though they're you know maybe good people at heart and uh, and, and were high producers they were causing more damage to the overall sustainability of the team than than we often realized I had an experience like that. I kept a salesperson on our team because I was afraid to lose their their productivity. And this person was uh, really undermining me as a leader at, at every turn. And what would have happened if you know we got rid of them is that the other people would have seen the leadership saying, "All right, we don't stand for bad behavior on this team." And we're, we're not going to put up with that. And so we make the change. And then they're like, yes, finally, the leadership is, is taking a stand. And they're going to give more energy and more enthusiasm, more commitment to make up for, more than make up for the loss of productivity of that individual. And that's actually what's happening on this jazz team is that they're like, hey, we don't care. We, we are playing for each other. And there's nobody on this team that is that is taking all the accolades. They're they're sharing the ball. They don't care who scores, and as a result, productivity. I, I mean, you have six people last night in double figures in scoring, which is awesome because nobody knows who to guard. They don't know how to they don't know how to plan for this Jazz team because who's the star that they have to stop? It's everybody. Well, you know, to that point, that's not just a, an anomaly, the six players in double figures. I think throughout the season, they've had five to seven players in du- double figures. Uh, and, you know, it's 
I, I think it's important to note that that you know the Jazz had talented players, and it, it's hard to say we were not in the locker room, so it's hard to say if you know well, there was one or more that were particularly quote unquote toxic. Yeah, and I'm not but saying they were. I'm be, just saying that my situation that was yeah, the case. That's right. But, but but what was the case is that with that lineup with some minor tweaks, but kind of building around this foundation. They just couldn't get past the second round of the playoffs. Right. And, you know, so the coaching staff and that core group of players, uh, they couldn't get past that second round. And then the last year that they were together, they, they, they were ousted in the first round of the playoffs. And, and so the team looked at it and said, well, with this configuration, we've basically hit our ceiling. And if we want to do better, we're going to have to kind of strip this down and start over again which can be hard, as you mentioned, because uh, they had two perennial All-Stars on that team. One, uh, a third player uh, made the All-Star team, still with the team. But, you know, to, to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, like you lost your star sales guy, right? It's like, we're going to lose all this production. Right. That's a scary thing to do. It's kind of hard to, to walk off that ledge and jump into the pool, uh, without having those all-star uh, life rafts uh, to keep you buoyed up, but they were able to find other people to come in and do it. And so I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of lessons that we can, can take from those, but, but I'm curious uh, in your experience, Spencer, uh, you know, work, you've worked with so many teams, so many teams throughout the years, been doing this for decades. Uh, have you have you experienced in the in the work environment either yourself or clients that you worked with where they just had teams that were firing on all cylinders and really uh, playing quote unquote with heart? Yeah, you know it's it's uh, yes. The answer is yes, and uh, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna answer that. But before you I do that, I'm gonna share a quote from Coach uh, Hardy who said the collection. This was after they had an overtime win versus Minnesota. He says, the collection, the sum, can be greater than the individual parts. If that makes sense, the way they fit together, the way they play together, they're capable of winning, of playing winning basketball. And I had a, a, a team that I started working with eight years ago that was having some dysfunction at the executive level. And... I, uh, I I started working with them, and we 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 spent time together over several years. I mean, in the initially in the beginning, there was more time spent with with the leaders, coaching, and getting them to work at a high level so that they could be uh, really support each other and have that that level of um, I don't know. It's more than esprit de corps. It's support for each other and dealing with each other's differences and and. And all those different departments recognizing that we're all on the same team and playing with more heart. And this, I remember the CEO at the time says, you know, you've increased overall the revenue of our organization by 30%. Well, this past week, I got a referral from one of those executive members to another company that does the same thing that they do. And I was talking with one of the senior executives, and she says, yes, the, the individual that referred me uh, to you said that you increased their revenue by 100%. And this, so this is not 
this is not you know a, a, about me, but what happened was is they started playing together in a way where they're playing for each other, not against each other, which happens a lot of times with high performing or uh, people that have high expectations of their own success and and they started playing together, not worrying about the accolades and productivity went through the roof. And even so much that the CEO didn't want to give me that much credit. So he never told me. But this person told the person who called me that that it was a, it was a big impact. And th- this company today is just doing fabulous. They're 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 doing well as a company. They are continually recruiting and growing. And I'm proud of them and their success. And uh, what's interesting is that the this company that they referred, I'm I'm now coaching the CEO and the top executive. And there is real problems with with this company, and it comes down to how they are working together as executives and how it's impacting the rest of the team, and it is absolutely significant. So, yes, the answer is yes. Wow, uh, I, it's it's great when you can take a, uh, less, lessons that are very visible, like from a sports uh, environment, but and then you can see how these same principles can apply to to organizations. I suspect that it's not easy, Spencer, because, uh, you know, in in an MBA environment, you have payers that are very uh, players that are very highly paid, that may be uh, looking to their next contracts. And so there might be a tendency to say, you know, the team is going to be lousy. Anyway, that's the expectation of this team. It's not supposed to be good. So So we're just going to build my resume. Yeah. Right. I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, that's right. I'm going to boost my resume here and then I move on. So, you know, when it comes to these teams playing with heart in these organizations, how do they get people to buy into the notion that, you know what, uh, we're all going to be better off if we play for each other and not just play for ourselves, uh, play for our next contract or our next promotion or, or uh, next job or whatever it is. You always ask the best questions, and I, I think that is such a good one. You know, think about it. I mean, if 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 a, an NBA team is going to, let's just say Jordan Clarkson, who is you know was a six man always for the last several years, and now is actually starting and just having a great year. And if there's anybody close to a star on this team, it would be him. And you know, some people say that he's playing for that maybe that future contract. So just think about this for a second. If if you're a, another team and you are considering maybe doing a trade with the Jazz for a, a Jordan Clarkson, who are you going to call? Well, you're going to call that team's management. You're going to call the agent. You're going to call the right? manager gonna... and, and, yeah. and say, you know, because hey, if the Jazz are wanting to trade them, maybe for multiple reasons to get more value for the team, not because they're a bad person, but if this is an individual that is not sincere in the locker room, that is not supporting their team, if they are somebody that is taking all of the spotlight on themselves, it will come out in those discussions. They will know. So part of the strategy of getting your next great opportunity is to give your all here. But you have to want to care, first of all, about the people that you're working with and even management. If you don't care about them, if you feel that they don't care about you, then you're not going to care about them. 
And so the statement that I read, that you read in the beginning, the fundamental task uh, of, of leaders is to prime good feeling in those that they lead. I want Jordan Clarkson's and every single person on my team to give their all every night. So what am I going to do? As a leader, I'm going to give my all to them. I'm going to put them in a position to succeed. I am going to encourage them when they make a mistake. I'm going to teach them how to make better choices and put them in a position where they can have the best success. And so when they feel that they can trust me as a leader, that I'm not going to sabotage them to tank the team so I can get you know, maybe a better draft choices in the future, then they're going to reciprocate. Don't you think so? I mean, there's this there's this trust that just builds on itself that creates this reciprocation that opens up that reservoir of positivity that then people start buying in and getting excited for, hey, I can trust the coach and he's telling me to trust my team. I'm going to start with that. And what's going to happen is I'm going to give that trust to my team and, and hopefully they're going to reciprocate. But it starts with that leader. And let me give you an example of this team that, that is struggling right now. The CEO, uh, when I, I actually talked to uh, the CEO's you know, first in command, and when I was talking to this individual, they were talking about how the CEO is so controlling and you know, how they spend so much time every day dealing with um, the concerns the CEO has in terms of their productivity, their commitment to the team, and how they do the work. And he is, has such a high demand for their performance that he criticizes everything that they do. Nothing is ever right. Nothing can be, you know, and, and they spend three and a half hours a day discussing this, this leader and the CEO. And, and this leader is intermediary between the CEO and all the rest of the employees. In, in their opinion, they're protecting the rest of the employees from this leader who is creating unrealistic expectations and negativity. And as a result, people feel defeated. They feel like no matter what they do, it's never good enough. They're frustrated. They're exhausted. They're tired. And guess what? The CEO is exhausted and tired because not getting the results that he wants from his team. But the problem is, is he's part of the problem. Now, there's problems with the players on that team as well, but it starts at the top. And it starts with him being able to empower his people and coach them in a way that they respond to instead of demanding or controlling. They just don't know how. They don't know how to be a good coach. They don't know how to free up the best in their people. They feel that just by setting expectations in terms of this is how it's to be done, well, there's no ownership. I mean, if I tell you how to run every single play, I don't use your strengths to maybe put you in a position to get the, the best shot off, right? And, um, and so what, what the jazz coach is doing is he's putting players in the best place that he can for them to be able to score and, and, and have the greatest matchups utilizing their strengths. Well, the CEO needs to do the exact same thing. How do I free up the best? I, I put them in a position where they can succeed. So a couple of thoughts here. I don't know anything about the situation that, that uh, you're doing with the team and the, in the coaching, but just uh, drawing a couple of parallels or analogies, or I don't know, 
whatever you want to call them, from the Jazz in this short season. Now, it's quite possible that as the season goes on, oh, for sure. other teams are going to figure them out and uh, and they may not perform as as well. But in in so two interesting observations based on what you just said. Number one with Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. The coach asked him to play a different role. You pointed it out. Not only is he uh, starting, but he's also been asked to distribute the ball more because Jordan Clarkson historically has been the the gunner. He's the guy that dribbles right. around and, and, you know, he's called the flamethrower for a reason, right? He gets hot and he's just chucking, you know, three-pointers from all over the place and scoring crazy-looking baskets. But the coach has asked him to play a different role. And sometimes we might be as leaders a little bit reticent to ask our team members to do something that we think is outside of their comfort zone. I remember working on the Rio 2016 Olympic bid and our CEO asked me to be in charge of all of the guarantees, you know, getting all of the guarantees for the games. This requires working with a lot of government agencies and I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I didn't know anything about getting guarantees, but there was a need. And he's like, Christian, can you go? Can you can you take this over? Can you can you make sure that is a that an awesome assignment for you? That's an awesome assignment for you, basically because he trusts your integrity in so many other areas that he knows that you're going to figure it out and you're going to do everything you could to, to figure it out. So, you probably you know, did. But, you know, I, I, I mean, that was a very scary thing for me because right. I've never done anything like that before. But but you're right. He he saw something in me and he had trust. And he asked me to do something that was outside of my comfort zone. While he could have said, well, you know, Christian really is a he's a project manager and that's what I'm going to keep him doing. He's good at that. And we'll just let him do that thing. But he asked me to do something. else. But how did and, he support you? I mean, how did he support you in that assignment? Did he micromanage you? Did he give you uh, freedom? Did he, I mean, how did that, how did that interplay happen? And when you had questions, what was that like? Uh, no, he didn't micromanage me at all. Uh, you know, I created a framework for all of the guarantees so that we could, we could identify who were all the signatories, who were the different uh, uh, ministries or agencies or government uh, bodies or public authorities that we needed to go approach. And then the strategies to go approach all of those the drafting of the guarantees and so on. So, um, you know, I basically put together this plan. I presented it to him. He says, okay, this is a, this, this looks good. He gave me a couple of ideas. And then every week we would just report on our progress. And if we had an issue that came up, you know, I would report and say, okay, we've got a challenge here and we're looking for a resolution. We may need to escalate this, but, but he did not micromanage me. What would have uh, happened if, hypothetically if nothing you proposed was good enough? Well, then I, you know, it's just like any anything else. When you think that your goal is unattainable, why keep running, right? It's like <laughs> you just stop because uh, because it's just not it's not attainable. You and you yeah. lose heart. That's right. You lose heart. You lose heart. And that um, is this. This is what's happening right now with the all this quiet quitting and 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 great resignation is is workers are losing heart and it's a leadership issue and we talk about leadership 
all the time. You hear it all the time. You see people posting about it, and we're talking about it. Other podcasts are talking about it. And why is it still such a big problem? Why are less than 10% of corporate teams, nonprofit, for-profit, government teams, why are less than 10% high-performing? Because of poor leadership because of conditions on the team where people are not bought in and not giving their all. And that's what's happening on this team. Now, the good news is that can change, that can be salvaged, but leadership has to change. And they need to know how to do that. And it takes work, it takes commitment. And the good news is is that these two that I'm working with, both of them are committed to making that change. And I'm excited to see the progress and what happens and how it impacts the rest of the team and their future growth. It's, it's, it's hugely rewarding. And at the same time, it's also hard and frustrating. Let me ask you another question, Spencer. And this again draws on the analogy of the jazz. Yeah. So, so one thing we've seen in this very short season is that the, the, uh, the coach has not really implemented a standard lineup. There seem to be different players finishing the game every time. Right. Where, you know, sometimes you feel like I'm the starter. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to finish the game, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh in 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 his what he's basically done is he's gotten rid of all of this entitled this entitlement feeling, you know, by by NBA players, which is a challenge to do, you know. And you know, if you're working with an organization, Spencer, where you've got uh, a team with members who've been around a long time, who just kind of know how everything's going, you know, they might feel like they're entitled to their positions, their roles, responsibilities. Uh, how is it that you can transform a team from one that's that's an entitled team to one that actually has heart and is willing to do whatever it takes and play whatever role is necessary to make the team successful? Yeah, so uh, great. Another great question. And I think one of those ways is some quick wins. I mean, people, a lot of coaches will create that predictability that you talk about so that people just know what to expect. But every once in a while, it's nice to have that lack of predictability, that flexibility on the team. And when you trust each other, you trust again that, hey, this, this is a situation that you know, player B may be better at rather than having the, the, the set rotation. Well, with the set rotation, other teams can plan for that and they can, you know, then de- defeat it, right? Or, or they can expect it. But when, when, when teams can't, can't prepare for what the team is going to do, then that gives the, the, the Jazz an advantage. But I think how you get there is exactly what's happening. You, you start to win. People want to be on a winning team, Christian. I'm talking about work. And to be on a winning team, I'm not talking about making all the money in the world. I'm talking about a team that makes a difference in the world. So if you're on a nonprofit organization that you have an impact on the, on the community, on whatever it is that your mission is focused on, if you're a government agency, you are making people's lives better. If you are a for-profit organization, you're doing good in in the world and have a, a vision that makes a difference. People want to be on a team that is making a difference and they're having fun doing it. Nobody wants to go work in a situation where it's drudgery and you have to fight with your team members just to get the work done. It, it, 
they, they want to have gratitude in it because it makes all the problems that you face so much easier. So winning is about achieving your goals. So when you got that assignment, let me just ask you in the interim, and and you were did, did how did it end? I mean, did you did it did it work out? Uh, yes, it did. So it was interesting. One of the things that we, we felt, uh, because the games, the Olympic games had never been to South America. Yeah. Uh, Brazil had not hosted an event of that size. There was a lot of concern. Uh, so there was great concern. And so we needed to establish credibility. And, uh, uh, when you, when you look at, at, at a, at a bid, you have to have a balance of what I, I, I actually created a formula for this it's a quadrant uh, that splits the bid into attractiveness and feasibility. And on that feasibility Love it. component, feasibility is bolstered by facts and commitments. Right. So the guarantees uh, express the commitment. And so we felt like we needed to be very, very strong in this area because we didn't have a lot of facts because the country had not had a long history of hosting major multi-sport events and so so we had to really that that was the foundation of our strategy we've got to really amp up the commitment so so we got all three levels of government the national the state and the uh and the municipal government uh involved and and sharing those commitments and i remember uh taking the guarantees all of the signed guarantees to lausanne if you stack them you know, we had 20 binders the, these binders were like this thick, you know, five, four or five inch binders that were full of all of these guarantees, all of these commitments that the IOC required. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, for them, it was, it was almost overwhelming because we had so many guarantees, but it worked. We were able to secure all those guarantees and uh, Rio ultimately won, you know, the right to host the games. I'm not saying that the guarantees were the differentiating factor, but it was a factor we had to, we had to establish that there was total commitment on the part of the major political parties. And how, all did, the that, and how did that feel when you got that? Well, it felt pretty good. <laughs> it was big relief. It was a massive project, you know, working with all these different government agencies and, you know, I was spending a lot of time in Brasilia meeting with different ministries and, and uh, just trying to get all these guarantees. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, so, it was but, but being a part on, of that winning team is something that you're proud of, right? People want to be in a situation where they have a chance to win. And so one of the ways that you start to have that transition is give them a win. And what your boss did is when he met with you and you reviewed your plans, Hey, great job. Here's an, you know, encouragement. This is a great format. And uh, you might consider these these small tweaks. That's an example of you know creating a, a incremental win. People have to feel that they're making progress, and and a lot of managers struggle giving supportive and positive feedback. So for a relationship to be sustainable, you have to have five positive to every one negative interaction. So think about it. For every negative critique, for every uh, a frustrated comment for every eyeball roll for every snarky email, you need to have five encouragements and and you know or thank yous or uplifts or 
whatever it is at a rate of five to one to create that sustainable relationship. And it's those relationships that allow the productivity to continue. And most managers really, really struggle with that. And even giving feedback for improvement can be done positive if you know how to do it. When you do that, there's a sense of pride and gratitude and appreciation for your team and for your coach that that gives you the confidence to go out and fight even in an area that you're not comfortable in because you know that your back is had by your teammates and your coach. That's what allows you to do what you did and for teams to be able to transition. That's that's one of the things that I think is absolutely key. Well, I totally agree. Uh, I want to come back to something that you said about vision, and I know that our time is running short here, but uh, um, I'm going to send you a link after our, our podcast is over. I, there's a, a guy that I've been working with. Uh, his name is Mike Savage, and he's a, an entrepreneurial coach. And uh, he put out a video on YouTube yesterday or the day before uh, talking about the importance of vision, because you mentioned vision being so important. And 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 uh, he had the he's our age and he kind of had this feeling like, well, young kids today is just, yeah, but they can be super inspired by vision. And he told the story of his daughter who who wanted to be an engineer at SpaceX and she graduated from college and she went through a, a process of 27 interviews and eventually was hired to, to be an engineer at SpaceX and they uh, once a year, they open the facility to family members and they let them come in. So he went and visited his daughter in California and they got a tour of the facility. And then he talks about the conversations that he had there with these people who are 20 something. But what they talked about was this vision that Elon Musk has, and you can say whatever you want to about him, but this vision that he has to inhabit other planets <laughs> it's this big vision and these people these engineers you know one of them said i don't mind working 12 hour days at all here it's awesome you know but be, it's because of this vision that doesn't mean that every company in the world has to have this vision that we're going to go inhabit other planets but what is your company's vision that's going to inspire the people in your company to to want to do their best and and be a part of this and, and want to deliver whatever it is to as you say make a difference you know it was it's really inspiring i'll, I'll send the link later but oh, I, know, that's, that's, I, think I think that's awesome right on. there there yeah, are people yeah. there are organizations that actually give their employees 10 to 20 percent of their time to work on anything that they're passionate about and, and, you know, some people are working hard on projects in spite of not getting paid because they want to make a difference. I think Wikipedia is an example of a of a resource that was created by someone that just wanted to create a resource for, for people. They started and, and had all this energy and enthusiasm of people coming together and just doing it for, for free initially because they just wanted to, to create a resource that, that made a difference. People are are out there wanting to make the world a better place. They're frustrated by how things are, and they want to know that they're part of something bigger than than them. And you can't do it alone. I mean, you do that with a with a team of people. And when you can do something that 
makes life better or makes the future better and brings people want to be happy they they want to they want good for their children they want opportunity for their children they you know they want to make the world a safer and cleaner and and, and more prosperous place and so if, 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 if that means you've got to sacrifice a little bit of your time, well, then you know what? People sleep better at night. And so a vision helps create that passion and that commitment and that dedication for people to, to want to do something. Now, you have to be very careful and not take advantage of that because people need a, they need a good wage and, and they, they need to know that they're able to not worry about expenses. But when people are part of something that's, that's important, they'll voluntarily work harder. Well, uh, what a, <laughs> I feel inspired, Spencer. I'm going to go conquer the world now. <laughs> uh, but you've helped so many organizations and you continue to do so. Uh, and it's yielding results. So if they're anybody who's listening, if, if they want to get in touch with you and learn more about how you could help them establish this vision, build great, high-performing teams, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn on LinkedIn. You'll see me. You can go to our website at, at Altium Leadership. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. You know, there's a... Uh, there's a country, Ukraine, right now, and other countries uh, fighting for for their lives. And um, Christian, I'm going to be doing a uh, virtual workshop for the uh, for people, professionals in Ukraine, helping them to uh, find jobs or clients internationally, so that they can continue to provide for their families. That's going to be, I believe, on the 29th of November. So hopefully, you know, you, uh, we can get people to to join. Uh, to join us and support uh, people in, in Ukraine. Again, I mean, I want to do things for, for people too. And, and that's an example of just, you know, being excited to, to help someone, not for, for money, but because it's the right thing to do. So hopefully we can get the word out and, and uh, support people around the world who are, are struggling to make the world a better place and more peaceful. Well, definitely, we'll need to put the the link there uh, with the description here in the podcast and stuff, so people can can uh, see more, find out more information about that. But I think it's fantastic the work that you're doing, Spencer. So, hey, uh, Christian, I, I want to know how to get a hold of you because I mean, I hear all of your incredible experience, and I'm like, wow, I need I need more Christian Napier in our organization. How do, how do they reach you? Uh, wow, LinkedIn, likewise, right? Just look at Christian Napier and LinkedIn, and uh, you'll find me there. And uh, you can also uh, email me, christian at raconto.io. That's R-A-K-O-N-T-O dot I-O, or visit our website, raconto.io. And uh, happy to speak with anybody. Awesome. All right, Spencer, uh, another fun, fun conversation. I really appreciate uh, you educating us and inspiring us. And listeners, please like and subscribe. To our podcast and we'll catch you again i don't know exactly when we've got busy schedules but we will make time to get another another episode in the can here soon thank you so much thank you